With regard to citizenship law, the United States is something of a unicorn. That's because the U.S. is one of only 33 countries that utilizes unrestricted jus soli. This term, Latin for right of soil, refers to the automatic extension of citizenship to any individual born within a given nation. In other words, if you are born within a nation that enforces jus soli, also known as birthright citizenship, you are a citizen of that nation, no questions asked. In the United States, birthright citizenship was first established by the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which says, quote, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Nearly every country that uses jus soli is in the Americas, as these nations have had a history of colonialism and don't really have a uniform ethnic population in the same way that European, African, and Asian nations do. The only countries outside of the Americas that use jus soli are Chad, Lesotho, Tanzania, Pakistan, and Tuvalu. Most countries grant citizenship through jus sanguinis, Latin for right of blood. Countries utilizing jus sanguinis generally state that if one of or both of your parents were citizens at the time of your birth, you are, by extension, also a citizen. The United States uses jus sanguinis in addition to jus soli, as the foreign-born children of U.S. citizens are natural-born citizens. Some countries go even further. For instance, Ireland, which has a massive diaspora population in the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, and Australia, additionally grants automatic citizenship to the grandchildren of Irish citizens. Other nations go even further. In Italy, if you can prove direct descent from any Italian citizen who lived after 1861, you are immediately eligible for Italian citizenship. Countries like Armenia extend citizenship to anyone of a given ethnicity, such as Armenian. Conversely, Liberia exclusively allows black people to become Liberian citizens, explicitly banning all other races from citizenship. And there is one country in the world that is both famous and infamous for its religion-based citizenship law, Israel. of return, enacted in 1950, forms the basis of Israeli citizenship law. This law states, quote, every Jew has the right to come to this country as an ole, or immigrant. Since 1970, the law of return has also been extended to the spouses, children, and grandchildren of Jews, as well as to the spouses of children and grandchildren of Jews. Of course, there have still been some disputes over the applicability of the law of return. For instance, although the Israeli government does not perform same-sex marriage, they do recognize same-sex marriages performed abroad. So when a Jewish American named Joshua Goldberg emigrated to Israel in 2011, he and his legally married Catholic husband Bayardo Alvarez both applied for citizenship under the law of return. Goldberg immediately received citizenship, but Alvarez did not, likely due to the chief rabbinate's opposition to same-sex relationships. After two months, however, Alvarez was granted Israeli citizenship, 
and in 2014, marriage equality in the immigration process was codified into law. Another issue with the law of return stems from the status of Messianic Jews. Messianic Judaism, popularized by the American Baptist nonprofit Jews for Jesus, is an offshoot denomination made up of Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or in other words, glorified Christians. A 1989 ruling by the Supreme Court of Israel stated that Messianic Judaism is a Christian denomination, therefore making Messianic Jews ineligible for citizenship under the Law of Return. In addition to these disputes, the Law of Return has also come under fire for not including Palestinian diaspora whose ancestors were expelled or fled from Israel during the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. And finally, there is one crucial caveat in the Law of Return directed at anyone who, quote, has been a Jew and has voluntarily changed his or her religion. This stipulation seems to confirm that the Law of Return is based on the Jewish religion rather than the Jewish ethnicity, but a decade after its passage, a man challenged this policy. I'm going to tell you all about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 54th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Shmuel Oswald Rufusen was born on January 29th 1922, in the town of Oświęcim, Poland. Rufusen's family was Jewish, and as a child, he joined the religious Zionist youth movement B'nai Akiva. In 1939, Rufusen's hometown was annexed by Nazi Germany, following the Blitzkrieg of Poland. Eventually, the town of Oświęcim would become better known by its German name, Auschwitz. At the age of 17, Rufusen became a member of the Polish resistance against the Nazis. In 1941, he was sent to the Belarusian town of Mir to infiltrate a police station that was detaining Belarusian Jews on behalf of the Nazis. By masquerading as an ethnically German Pole, Rufusen was able to get a job as a translator at the police station, which allowed him to rescue hundreds of Jewish families from deportation to concentration camps. That same year, Rufusen's brother Ari emigrated to British Mandatory Palestine. To evade the Nazis, Oswald Rufusen hid in a convent of the Sisters of the Resurrection, a Catholic religious order. The nuns living in the convent taught scripture to the young Rufusen, and he began to develop an interest in Catholic theology. Later on, with the assistance of the nuns in the convent, Rufusen converted to Roman Catholicism. A few years later, 
World War II ended and Poland came under the control of a provisional government. After becoming a member of the Carmelite Order, Rufusin became a Carmelite friar and eventually a Catholic priest, for which he adopted the name Brother Daniel. In 1950, Brother Daniel developed a desire to emigrate to the newly established state of Israel, where his brother and many of his fellow Holocaust survivors had previously emigrated. After Brother Daniel requested to be transferred to the Carmelite Monastery in Haifa, Israel, Carmelite authorities agreed, but the government of the new Polish People's Republic refused to grant him an exit visa. For almost a decade, all of Brother Daniel's attempts to emigrate were blocked by the Polish government. In 1959, the Polish government finally relented and allowed him to emigrate to Israel, but only under the stipulation that he renounce his Polish citizenship. Brother Daniel agreed, and in July of 1959, he arrived in Haifa. After moving to Israel, Brother Daniel reunited with his brother Ari in Haifa. For one year, Rufusin served as a friar at the Stella Maris Monastery, a center of Roman Catholicism in Israel. There are over 200,000 Catholics in Israel, comprising roughly 1.5% of the population, with most being of Palestinian Arab or Lebanese Maronite descent. According to Brother Daniel's later writings, he felt very accepted by both fellow ethnic Jews in Israel, as well as by Palestinian Catholics. Things got messy, though, when his temporary work visa expired in 1960. Since he had already renounced his Polish citizenship, the expiration of Brother Daniel's visa left him stateless. When he tried to apply for a new work visa, his request was denied for unknown reasons. Of course, as an ethnically Jewish man, Brother Daniel would have been immediately eligible for citizenship through the law of return had he not converted. Realizing the absurdity of his situation, Brother Daniel applied for citizenship through the law of return in spite of his conversion to Catholicism. Brother Daniel's application for Israeli citizenship through the Law of Return was quickly denied by the Israeli Ministry of the Interior on account of his conversion to Catholicism. Brother Daniel soon appealed this decision to the Supreme Court of Israel. In an official statement, he said, quote, My ethnic origin is and always will be Jewish. I have no other nationality. If I am not a Jew, what am I? I did not accept Christianity to leave my people. I added it to my Judaism. I feel as a Jew. Similarly, his lawyer argued to the Supreme Court that if the Israeli government refused to grant preferential citizenship to ethnic Jews of different religions, the nation would become a theocracy. As Israel is a generally secular nation that doesn't even have a state religion, this accusation weighed heavily upon the people of Israel. 
This nation fell into a cultural divide over the case, with secular Jewish Israelis believing that Brother Daniel was entitled to Israeli citizenship as an ethnic Jew, and Orthodox Jewish Israelis believing that his conversion to Catholicism was an unforgivable form of apostasy. The case was also influenced by Brother Daniel's status as a Holocaust survivor. Since Nazi Germany's genocidal policies extended to ethnic Jews regardless of their religious beliefs, barring converts from citizenship would seemingly subvert Israel's purpose as a safe harbor for Jews from discrimination. In spite of this, the Supreme Court of Israel sided with the religious bloc. In the 1962 decision of Rufusin v. Minister of the Interior, issued by Presiding Justice Yitzhak Olshan, the Supreme Court of Israel stated, quote, No one can regard an apostate as belonging to the Jewish people, thereby affirming that Brother Daniel was ineligible for law of return citizenship. After this case, Brother Daniel remained in Israel as a stateless person. He continued to serve as a friar and a priest at the Stella Maris Monastery in Haifa, while simultaneously working towards Israeli citizenship through naturalization. Although it takes much longer, non-Jews are permitted to naturalize as Israeli citizens outside of the Law of Return. In 1967, five years after his legal battle, Brother Daniel became a naturalized Israeli citizen. On July 30th, 1998, Oswald Rufusin, also known as Brother Daniel, died from natural causes in Haifa. Since Rufusin's case, more changes to the law of return have been made. In addition to the 1970 extension of preferential citizenship to descendants and spouses of Jews, a 1989 Supreme Court case expanded the law of return to encompass converts to Judaism who underwent conservative and reformed conversions. Previously, only Orthodox conversions to Judaism were recognized under the law of return. Although the Law of Return continues to have overwhelming support from the Israeli populace, it has come under fire for allowing extremist terrorists to emigrate to Israel. These individuals include Baruch Goldstein, an American-born physician who perpetrated the 1994 Cave of the Patriarchs massacre that left 29 Palestinian civilians dead, and the Russian-born members of Patrol 36, a Jewish neo-Nazi organization. Yes, that's a real thing. Following the 1991 dissolution of the Soviet Union, a mass migration of Soviet Jews to Israel occurred, including many who were religiously classified as either atheists or Christians. As most were the children or grandchildren of religious Jews, they were allowed to emigrate, but this wave of migration forced the Israeli government to confront its exclusion of converts from the Law of Return. Today, roughly one-fifth of the Israeli population is foreign-born. In 2021, Naftali Bennett became the first Israeli Prime Minister born after the enactment of the Law of Return. This is especially important because Bennett, who briefly lived in Teaneck, New Jersey as a child, is the son of American immigrants from San Francisco. Also in 2021, the ban on Palestinians from the West Bank and Gaza Strip acquiring citizenship through marriage to Israelis expired. 
This policy, which dates back to the Second Intifada of the early 2000s, was intended to prevent terrorism, but it was heavily criticized for unfairly depriving Palestinians of rights afforded to other nationalities. Although Interior Minister Ayelet Shaked instructed authorities to continue enforcing the defunct law, a Supreme Court ruling just last week struck down her instructions. So as the Israeli population becomes less religious and more progressive, don't be surprised if major restructuring of the law of return is around the corner. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed learning about it myself. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.